I'm always glad to see the faithful that will make it on daylight savings time. Uh, when, you, when you gain an hour, boy, it's easy. It's full house. When you lose an hour, that might be another story. You never know. And don't you know it, Pastor Rick is gone. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I knew he wasn't going to be here. Um, he, uh, Pat, just to let you know, Pastor Rick is in Tucson, Arizona this morning. Uh, uh, he's helping out our sister church there. And so uh, keep him in your, in your prayers. A couple of other announcements uh, that I'd uh, just highlight on the back of your uh, program here. Keep in mind that we have Easter coming up, and there is a whole slew of activities that that go along with Easter. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then on Friday, the 25th, on Good Friday, we have a Good Friday service here at the church at 6.30, and that will be a special service. Our choir is singing, and uh, and it'll be a time of us for us to spend time in prayer and, and meditating on the sacrifice that the Lord uh, Jesus uh, made on our behalf. And then Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, we have our breakfast together in the morning. That's at 8 o'clock in the, in the uh, social hall, uh, our worship service together, and Easter activities for the children uh, during that on that day as well. So keep all that in mind. That's uh, a lot of great stuff uh, happening coming up around Easter. Today we have the uh, gathering. The West Covina Bible study has been canceled because Pastor Rick is gone. And also keep in mind that in, uh, uh, what is this, next Sunday, I guess? Yeah, next Sunday is our basketball game of the ages. So uh, that'll be fun out here on the basketball court uh, after the service. That is all the announcements that I think I'm going to uh, highlight right now. You can read the rest on, on your own. Um, if you want to take out your connection card, I would appreciate that. It is a white card with a, a, a white and purple card. Take a minute to fill that out. Uh, if you are a guest here with us this morning, that will give us an opportunity to get in touch with you and to give you an official welcome to our church. After the service, you can just leave the connection card on the pew and the ushers will come around and uh, pick those up. When I was in college, I had that experience that I'm sure uh, many of you, may, probably the majority of you have had, where I was sitting there in the uh, in the classroom and I was looking at the marker board at the front of the uh, class and all of a sudden I realized I could not read the words that were on the that the professor had written on the marker board at the front and uh, I realized it was not only just blurry I couldn't make out the words and so I knew it was time for me to set up uh, an, uh, an appointment with the optometrist. And so I went in and they ran out, ran, they ran all those uh, tests, right? And uh, put the different lenses in. I had to tell them if it was more blurry or clear. And sure enough, I had to get glasses. They gave me a prescription and um, I went back a week later and I got them. And uh, I remember I put them on for the very first time And I walked outside, and I was amazed. Trees looked crisp. I could see the outline. I could see what was around the edges, the cars driving by. Wow, I never knew they were so clear. And it was almost as if I had new glasses. Or, Well, I did have new glasses. What I meant to say, it was almost as if I had new eyes. Um, and, uh, And it was amazing the difference that it made. 
And most of us, if we live any amount of time, we'll have to get glasses or contacts or some of us have had LASIK surgery or something along these lines to help us with our vision. Our eyes have a tendency of wearing out. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be completely blind, to lose all sight. I actually worked for a lady when I was in seminary for a few years, and she was uh, completely blind, had no vision at all. And uh, I love that job, actually. First thing I would do is I'd come on Tuesday mornings, uh, and I'd pull up, and uh, I'd go up to the door, and I'd say, hey, uh, hello, Penny, I'm here to help you with whatever you need help with. And she said, she would always say, let's go to McDonald's. And uh, so we would drive to McDonald's and get an Egg McMuffin and a cup of coffee, and we'd just sit there for like, I'm getting paid for this, I'd sit there for like an hour and a half, and we'd have breakfast together. And it was a great time. And uh, we'd go home, and I began to realize these simple things like going to McDonald's and sorting through the mail and picking up around the house, washing off dishes, how these things that I take for granted... Uh, were, were, are very difficult if you have no eyesight. And so we can begin to imagine what it was like for this man named Bartimaeus who sat at the city gate every day as people passed by. He sat in the dirt with his tin cup just hoping that someone would give him some money. And Jericho was a city that had lots of visitors going in and out, most of whom didn't know uh, Bartimaeus and probably didn't care two cents about him, and yet he would hold up his cup, hoping that someone would drop in two cents. It was a life of real hopelessness. There was no eye care. He couldn't have surgery. There was no prescription glasses that he could get, and it it had led to a life of, of not ever hoping, with real, no real hope of getting out of the situation that he was in. And yet there is a sense that Bartimaeus knows who God is and he knows, and he knows who to turn to for help. So I want to invite us to uh, look at Mark chapter 10 together. And our passage is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Let's read this. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, gather here today to look at this passage, I know many of us are seeking your direction, asking for your sight in our lives that we would know the way that you would have us to go. 
there are things that weigh heavy on our hearts, decisions that need to be made, problems that we may be having. It could be relational, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, and yet we pause right now, God, and ask for you to give us your vision to help us to know the direction that you are leading us to go. So God, we pray that you would speak to us through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You notice how Bartimaeus cries out. He says, mercy, mercy, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him are, are telling him to shush, to be quiet, let this man go his way. And yet Bartimaeus does not give up. He cries out all the, all the louder, mercy, God, please help me. And he calls out to Jesus using this term of divinity. He is calling out to God. He says, Jesus, son of David. It's a, it's a title for the Messiah, the God who has come in human flesh to come and to uh, be the Savior of the world. And so as we have read through Mark, it is interesting to note that no one up to this point has seems to have the spiritual understanding and clarity to know who Jesus is to the degree that Bartimaeus does. At times, Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And many people have uh, very, uh, various ideas, almost a blurry vision of who this man Jesus is. But Bartimaeus is the one that nails it on the head. He understands that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has come to save. And that is what he asks of Jesus. He cries out for mercy. And even though what he is asking for is physical healing, what he uses as he cries out are words that are, have a, that are spiritual in nature. When we ask God for mercy, we are asking for his compassion, for his grace, and for his help. And so the spiritual cries of Bartimaeus point us towards spiritual truths for our own lives. Jesus uses a blind man to show us that he can give us sight. To show us that he can give us sight. And so as I have tried to help us to begin to think along these lines, what are the areas that we need sight in our own lives because there are always times where we are wrestling with, God, what is your will? How would you direct me and lead me in this situation or that situation? We are faced constantly with decisions. We are faced with difficulties in relationships. We are faced with needing God's help to have victory over sin or addiction or difficulties in our spiritual lives. Or maybe we need God's mercy to receive his salvation. All of these are ultimately prayers that God would give us vision, that God would give us wisdom, that he would give us new eyes for a new life that he is calling us to live. Just a moment ago, we sang that old hymn, Amazing Grace, right? Probably the most well-known Christian song uh, by just the, the broad population of any song. And part, part of the reason I think that it is well-known is because it is, a, it is a song that the lyrics resonate with people in their hearts. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Aren't you glad I don't actually sing it? You know, I can't sing, so I'll just say it, all right? Uh, but you get the idea that this is a spiritual 
victory that has been won when we receive God's amazing grace. That it is as if we go from blindness to being able to see. And this is what we see here in uh, the life of Bartimaeus, and this is what is the hope for our own lives. The author of that hymn was a man by the name of uh, John Newton. And uh, he lived a few centuries ago and lived a life. His mother was a Christian, but when he became older and became a teenager, he lived a life that was in rebellion towards Jesus. In fact, he strayed about as far away from God as one could stray. He was from England and he got aboard a slave ship and for many years he went back and forth from Africa to England, from Africa to England and rounded up people that he would take back to his home country to be slaves. And over time he became so burdened by guilt in his own heart that one night he was at sea on this ship and there was a storm and he was for sure thought that God was going to take his life that night. And for the first time since he was a little child and he had heard from his mother the truths of the gospel, he cried out to God and he repented of his sins. And that he described as being a change from being blind to having sight. And that is the hope of the gospel. Not only that when we are saved, that is the hope of the gospel for our lives every day. Jesus comes before us and he asks us that question. What would you have me to do for you? And when we receive him into our lives, it is his desire that he would have a relationship with us and he would walk with us. In this passage about Bartimaeus, we receive lessons for gaining God's vision. So let's look at this passage together. The first thing we notice here is that they came in verse 46, that they came to Jericho. Jericho has an, a long history in the Old Testament of being an important city. When the people of Israel were coming out of slavery in Egypt, the first city that they came to when God had promised them the, the, what he called the promised land, a land flowing of, with milk and honey, this land of prosperity was the city of Jericho. And they sent in uh, spies, and the spies came back with the report Uh, We can't do it. The city is too strong and too fortified. The people are too big and too strong. And And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jericho was for them a city of limitations. After 40 years of wilderness wandering, Jer- Joshua brings them before the city again. And again, they stand at the, at, the, uh, at the walls of Jericho. And this time, they are ready to be obedient. And God says, march around it seven days. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times and blow your trumpets and the walls will come crumbling down. The city of Jericho uh, went from being a city of limitations to being a gateway city of God, for God's victory. And Jeremiah, as he sits at the gate of this city, he is a, a man that is consumed with his limitations, knowing that he can't uh, see, but yet he calls out to God for mercy. And this becomes the day of God's victory for him. This past week, um, so this is our first lesson about Bartimaeus. Our limitations create a gateway for God's victory. 
This past week, I was wrestling with a decision. You know, in a sense, I'm doing exactly what I'm trying to preach on this morning about seeking God's will for guidance and a decision. And oftentimes, when this happens, I will take a walk and I'll just go out to pray and to think. And then, and as I'm on my walk and asking God, what is it, God, that you would have me to do? What is your will for me as I'm wrestling with this decision? The Lord uh, began to reveal, you know, what you are seeking me for, it's too hard for you. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't, it is impossible. But if you do it with me and I provide you the strength, then it's no longer dependent on your limitations, but I will work the victory in your life. And that was kind of a revelation for me. I began to think of all the things in my life. My hope is that I would be able to bring up our children, Dawson and Kinsey, in the ways of the Lord. And yet, I look around at the world around us and you just see all of these difficulties. And I, be, and I begin to think, man, this is way above my abilities. And God says, good, because it doesn't depend on you alone. It is God in you, through you, working among you. We face decisions and maybe God is calling us to do ministry activities and we think, you know what, that's way above what I could do. And God says, good, that's great. It's good for us to realize our limitations because then it uh, creates a gateway for God to work and to receive the glory and praise that he deserves. We come uh, together every Sunday and I know that as I enter into this worship service, there are many Sundays I am here to worship the Lord, but I know that there are things that are weighing heavy on my heart. And it is our desire to live godly lives, and yet we say, you know what, it just seems so hard, it's impossible, and we wrestle with, with habits that we wish we could change. And God says, you know what, that's okay, because it doesn't depend on your limitations. It's God in us. When Bartimaeus cries out for mercy to God, what he is ultimately crying out for is a relationship with God. It is not that he can change himself. It is God in him that does this work. Verse 48, it goes on to say, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and, and said, Call him, and they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Our second lesson from this passage about gaining God's uh, vision is not only that our limitations create a gateway for God's mercy, but that when we call out to God for mercy, he calls us to purpose. He calls us to purpose. Do you know what God's purpose is in your life? What is he calling you to? When we call out to him for mercy and receive his salvation, he calls us to purpose, to doing work for him. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've been reading a book on, uh, def on finding God's purpose in our lives. 
And uh, this author is a, a teacher at a seminary. Her name is Deborah Lloyd. Let me just read one uh, thing she wrote about finding God's purpose for us. I approached the front of the classroom and drew a huge dollar sign, circled it, and then put a line through the circle on the board. What, were you t- what would you do if money were no object? This was a re- relatively ethereal question for seminary students who are trained to think in, in terms of absolutes and certainties about doctrine and practice. I've been in some of those classes. I can relate to this. The grad students there are overachievers. Everyone wanted to be able to answer my question. I could see it as they leaned forward in their seats with anticipation, but no one wanted to be wrong. The pressure to respond was palatable. But what was the right response? What did the professor want? Their hesitancy surprised me. I said, all right then. Take out a blank piece of paper and clear your tables of computers and notebooks. I had, read, I had read about something that might help nudge the students into right brain activity. Write this at the top of your paper, I said. My craziest idea for mission if money were no object. Isn't that a great question? Or isn't that a great statement to brainstorm about? My craziest idea for God's work, if money were no object. Chelsea and I had a dinner conversation about this the other night. What would we do with all the things in this world? What would we do if money were no object? You begin to uh, wrestle with this question and it begins to point us into into the direction of what might be God's purpose in your life. She goes on to say, this idea might be an idea that you have fantasized about but never really brought out into the open. It will address these questions. What what problem have you noticed in your world that you just can't shake and how would you deal with it? What unconventional approach would you take? How would God show you? How would God show up through you in this situation? The pins moved sluggishly at first but eventually gave way to furious writing. I think that's a beautiful question. In a sense, it's a question like what Jesus asked this man here in this passage. What would you want me to do for you? What is deepest within your heart? If you could do anything, money were no object, what is it that you would, ha- what would, what is it that you would want to do for God? God calls us and saves us, not just to come and to sit on the pews once a week, but he calls us for mission, for purpose, calls us to be involved in his work. And so what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that God, if he would give you anything, what would you desire to do in your life for the Lord? After Jesus calls Bartimaeus, what does Bartimaeus do? Well, verse 50, it says, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. This idea of throwing off your cloak is no small thing. For a homeless man, this was giving up everything. For, uh, he was a beggar and he was giving up his shelter, his bed, his warmth, his ability to live. This was what would keep him warm at night and yet he throws it off. The third lesson for gaining God's vision is this. In receiving God's purposes for our lives means that we leave everything else behind. If we are to live the, the life that God wants us to live with 
new eyes for a new life, it means that we surrender everything to God. It doesn't necessarily mean that we take a vow of poverty, but it does mean that everything we have ultimately belongs to the Lord. If you've ever had that experience of going in to sign all your life away and when you sign those papers and buying a house, you can realize, holy cow, what am I up to? I remember the day you get a stack like that big and you sign one paper after another and you feel like, uh, like I said, you're signing your life away and you sign that note that says you're going to be paying a monthly payment every day, every month for 30 years and you wonder, what am I getting myself into? And, uh, and I remember signing those papers, and Chelsea and I, we were praying about, God, is it your will for us to buy a house? And, we, and the Lord opened up an opportunity for us to buy this, this house. And as I began to sign those papers, I began to realize, you know what? I've already signed my life away. When I became a Christian, I gave everything I had to the Lord. And this house that we are buying is ultimately not my house. It might be in my name or in uh, Chelsea in my, in, uh, my name, but it ultimately belongs to the Lord. And this house, God, may you use it to do your will. May you help us to raise a family in it that honors you. Help us to do ministry in this place. And if one day you call us to sell it, without a blink of an eye, help us to sell it. And if one day it would be your will for us to give it away, God, ultimately it's yours. And so as we see uh, Bartimaeus, it is a risky business. He throws off his cloak. He leaves everything behind. And this is what it means to live a life that is ultimately surrendered to God. It is risky. And it takes faith. But when Bartimaeus does that, he ultimately finds new life. And I believe this with all of my heart, that when our lives are surrendered to God, that ultimately is the best life possible. That is the life that is full of peace and joy, that is full of uh, God's happiness in our hearts. Not because we have everything that the world has to offer, but we have everything that God has to offer. And it gives us the ability to live out the life that God has called us to live. A life that is full of purpose. Limitations fall by the wayside as we receive God's victory. Blindness uh, falls off as we receive the vision that God has for us. So Bartimaeus asked the question that I want to ask us again today. What is it that you would have me to do for you? What came up pouring out of Bartimaeus' heart was no small thing. He wanted to receive sight. For God to heal your marriage is no small thing. For God to give you direction in where he would have you to go is no small thing. For God to provide protection for your kids is no small thing. For God to save a family member that you love but you know does not know Jesus is no small thing. For God to give you victory over sin and addiction is no small thing. But God invites us to lay these things at his feet. Verse 52 then goes on to say, And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he received his, his sight and followed him on the way. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Bartimaeus, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, go whatever way you want. Go your own way. You can go this way. You can go that way. You can go see your family. You've been blind for years. Whatever way you want to go, go your own way. And the way that Bartimaeus chose to go was he chose to go the way of Jesus and to follow him because ultimately he knew that's where real life was. God's vision for us becomes clear when, I, when going your own way is the same as going the way of Jesus. When our lives line up with the life that God has given us, then we are living in the life that God calls us to live and wants us to live. Ultimately, we're living the life that we want to live. When Chelsea and I first met, we were both living in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, Louisville has a winter, but it's not a hard winter, okay? I grew up in an area where it was a hard winter, like six months of, of real snow piled up high. And, uh, and, she, and even though Louisville doesn't have a real hard winter, Chelsea hated it. And uh, she, did not, she does not like the cold weather. In fact, every morning when she wakes up, first thing she does is she gets out the weather app on her phone and she flips through all these cities to see what the temperature is. And she feels genuinely sorry for people that live in cold weather areas. And so, so, she, was, uh, so she lived in Louisville and we were, we were getting serious in our relationship. I had just graduated seminary, and so I, had, I didn't care where I went. And so I sent out my resume to any church that had a pastoral position available that sounded interesting to me. And the church that I wanted to go to, most of all, that w- seemed really appealing to me, was actually a church in Toronto, Canada. And uh, Chelsea had made the commitment to me that we were, si- we were thinking about getting married, and she said, wherever you move, I'm going to move there as well. Now, she, didn't, she told me that, but she didn't tell me that she was also praying that God would help me to move to Southern California. <laughs> she, she grew up in Orange County, and so she was used to the blue skies and the ocean and the palm trees and all the rest. And, uh, but she, but she, and this is where she wanted to come back to, but she was willing to go wherever. And so as she's praying this, I'm praying as well. God, give me direction. Where would you have me to go? I'm praying for God's vision. And as I pray, it becomes, uh, the Lord lays it on my heart more and more. You know what? You should look for a church in Southern California. Uh, I knew uh, that this is ultimately was where Chelsea wanted to go. But the problem is I hadn't heard from any churches. And so even though I didn't have a peace in my heart uh, I, uh, about this, I continued to seek where the Lord would have me to go. And eventually I knew I needed to call up all these churches and tell them I'm not going to apply for the job that you're looking for. And I did that, and it took me a couple weeks to finally call the church in Toronto and say, I'm taking my hat uh, out of the ring. I'm not interested any longer. Two hours after I called the church in Toronto, I received a call from a church close to LAX. And I knew, like, I just took that as the Lord's will, that this is how he was directing me. And so we moved there, and, I w- and we got married at that church, and I served there for six years. 
And after six years, I had a day of just prayer that I, I, had, set, I had gone to a retreat center and I had set aside the whole day just to spend with the Lord. And I sat down at the front of that chapel and I began to pray and I just said, God, is there anything that you would like to say to me today? Not expecting to hear an audible voice, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but for some reason I had this sense in my heart almost immediately that God was saying, you know what, it's time for you to look for a different ministry position. And so I sat with that for a long time. I sat with that for the whole morning. Is this my own mind, or is this actually the Lord speaking to me? And so I asked the Lord, God, how will I know if it is you? And, it, and for some reason, I knew in my heart to, uh, that, God would, that God would provide another position, he said, in January of the next year, which was like six months away. So I sent out my application to a few places, and Christmas came and went, and it was the new year, and I, and, uh, I was still searching for a position and, the, and almost the whole month of January had passed. It was the last day. January 31st, Pastor Rick called me up and said, we'd like to officially invite you to be the associate pastor at West Covina Christian Church. And I took that as the Lord's will, that it was his will for me, for us as, and our family to come here. The only reason I share those stories is, is because I do believe that God gives us directions that God still provides for us, that God gives us sight when we seek him, that he gives us new eyes for a new life. And I invite us to hear that question for us. What would you have me to do for you? Let's go before the Lord. Father God, I thank you that you still speak to us. I thank you that you love us so much, that you, got, that you desire to guide and lead us in our lives. And I pray now that these things that are weighing on our hearts, we put them before you and pray for your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.